Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in Phoenix to speak with Brendan Clean of Locked On Suns about the Suns' recent two-game losing streak, and if there's any reason to panic with how Phoenix is going about it at the moment. We also talk to new uh, new member of the Locked On Podcast Network, Andy Kamenetsky of Locked On Lakers, about Anthony Davis's return and the center rotation. And lastly, we go to Portland to speak with Mike Richmond of Locked On Blazers about Portland's uh, less than impressive recent run of form and what that means for the future. It's all coming up. The biggest stories, the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, guys. Welcome back to another week of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. The playoffs, we are three weeks away from the end of the NBA regular season. Things happening all over the league at the moment. So let's talk about some of those big stories right across the league. Let's get to it. Now I'm joined by the host of the Locked On Suns podcast, Brendan Clean is here with me. Brendan, we just saw the Suns go down in a, in a matchup against the Brooklyn Nets. The Suns have now lost two in a row. They've got a, another game coming up against the Red Hot Knicks at the moment. They are still sitting pretty comfortably in the two spot in the Western Conference. Is there anything we've seen from these last couple of games that put any sort of worry, I guess, into where the Suns Suns are currently sitting? Nothing too bad, right? I mean, they've proven time and again they're coming off of two wins against Philly and Milwaukee that they can compete against the best of the NBA. I'd say if there's something with this Brooklyn game in particular that that you might want to circle or, or that will go on the scouting report come playoff time for the Suns. It's, you know, do do they have the the horsepower, right? At the end of these games, the shot making, the shot creation to get down the floor every time and get a great shot against elite te- teams. And that, that's a championship team type of worry, but that's where the Suns have put themselves. So in a matchup against a Kyrie Irving and a Kevin Durant, I think that's the type of question that comes up. And, and at least for this game, uh, it did not go the Suns way. Yeah, it, it didn't. Um, has there been any, look, from an outsider perspective, there's, I guess there's some of a worry with the way that Devin Booker is playing at the moment. I wouldn't say he's at his best. Is there anything that's that's happening there, or am I, am I misreading that? It's just a, like a marginal luck. He just doesn't quite seem to be where he's been at other points this season. No, you're, you're completely right. I mean, this is a guy who was the player of the month in the Western Conference in March, and looked uh, looked like he was rounding into form and then April's been a little bit of a roadblock there he he did score 36 so against Brooklyn but but only one assist to three turnovers and had to work really hard for those shots and I think that's where the concern comes is teams who can put a lot of guys on him make him have to hustle for every shot that's where the Suns get into uh, problems because he's going to cough the ball up. He's going to get frustrated. He's going to commit fouls. That's what we've seen. That's been the, the the challenge during this road trip. And I think a lot of it, you just chalk up to some of the simple plays that we know he can make and, and that he has made are a little harder when things are, are when you're playing against the elite teams, but also when there's pressure to win, right? The, the Suns knew coming into this road trip, they had to take care of business they are now two and two heading into that matchup you just uh, said about against the Knicks, and it's been a lot of pressure. And the team has won, but he has not been at his best by any means. Jay Crowder currently out, um, yeah, dealing with some ankle issues. Um, 
how much of an issue is that in terms of the schemes that that Phoenix wants to run? It's obviously not a long term thing, but is that perhaps you know an a reason or an explanation behind the, the last couple of losses? Just I guess that that uh, change in the rotation. Yeah. So the first loss against Boston, like. Kemba Walker scored 19 in the first half and the Suns just didn't have a game plan ready for him, understandably, because he had been playing poorly most of the year and he just has some of those nights. So I don't read too much into the Celtics loss on Thursday, but this this Brooklyn game, I think you would have seen a pretty different result if not only uh, Jay Crowder was in there, but also Dario Saric, who is having maintenance for his ankle injury right now, but has also just really not been himself, whether that's related to that injury or just a really badly timed cold streak. He has been really a shell of himself for several weeks now. So those two things, if if you can get a better version of Sharich, if you can get Crowder healthy, I think especially against a team like the Nets or in the Suns bracket, the Clippers who can downsize and, and spread you out and play versatilely, those teams become a little easier to deal with if you have a team defender like Crowder, a switchable small ball five like Sharich, and you can play that versatile style a little bit more easily. We saw Frank Kaminsky have to play in this game. We saw, you know, Javon Carter overextended trying to defend Kyrie Irving. Those are matchups the Suns are going to want to avoid come playoff time and obviously getting healthy will we'll do that for them. Obviously, this is a strange position for the Suns to be in, given their recent history. You know, struggling to make the playoffs or win win forty games, thirty games, even at times, and now they you know, sit within striking distance of the one seat. How does the Phoenix fan base like? How are they taking this in? Is it a, a case of, oh, you know, still not sure when we get to the playoffs? Is it a? Is there any sort of overconfidence creeping in? How's the team dealing with this? Because it is a pretty large change in fortunes and expectations now that sometimes those changes in expectation can lead to some uh, some pressure type scenarios. So how is it being received? Is it, you know, is there a level of, uh, arrogance isn't the right word, but is there a level of, you know, we're here now and this is real or is it like, mm-hmm. oh, let, let's wait and see? Well, I think with Booker, the, the pressure on the floor to deliver I don't think I would say it's getting to him, but you can see him struggling to uh, read what's being asked of him in a way that even when things were enormously difficult and he was the only NBA caliber player on the floor during the Suns tanking days, just never would be a, a quality you'd associate with him. So that's the the one area where I see it affecting the team. But I think Chris Paul has been such a steadying presence for this team that for the most part, I think that they just see a lot of this as the result of their hard work, the result of their dedication, the result of the natural build of, of everything. And I don't feel like we've sensed those who cover or are fans of this team any sort of uh, cockiness in that way. As for the fan base, uh, I think the the goalposts move quickly. And I think that uh, they're, they're, a lot of fans are right there with the finding a way to make this season uh, a disappointment when when losses like these happen which i think is the nature of fandom we all know how that can uh, can prickle us and even when there's some so much good happening but uh yeah i think for the most part this is a team that understands they have a lot to prove and that this season really could amount to nothing if they don't deliver in the playoffs right and and, and so many of these players are unproven in that arena that that's what I think a lot of us are just chomping at the bit to get to, to, to finally see it. 
it is going to be exciting for the Phoenix players, for the Phoenix fan base, for the Phoenix people that cover the team, just like you, Brendan. They can check it all out over on Locked On Suns over the coming weeks and into the NBA playoffs. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Thanks as always, Josh. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your shortlist of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, and you can also add your must-have requirements so that you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. So you can get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. The offer is valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. You know that because I'm sure by now you've had it. And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? Why would you go to get a protein bar that tastes like you scraped it off the bottom of your shoe when you can get Built Bar, which is like a candy bar, but it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's high protein, and it is high fiber. It helps you if you're looking to lose or maintain your current weight and you're just looking for a delicious treat that's not going to uh, you know, burst through the old belt buckle. Their flavors are amazing. They are covered in 100% chocolate and they are soft and easy to chew. Their coconut almond bar, 18 grams of protein with 180 calories and just 5 grams of sugar and 5 grams of net carbs. And you can go to BuiltBar.com right now. You can order these and you can use our promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. The promo code is LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Now let's bring in one of the new hosts of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Andy Kamenetsky is here with me. Andy, first of all, welcome to the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks, man. Stoked to be a part of this. We're, we're really, really exciting, uh, excited. Looking forward to all this. So we're here to talk Lakers, obviously. They're uh, you know, the defending champions. Big news always around the league. And in the last couple of days, we've had Anthony Davis return to action Played that 15 or 17 minutes in the first game. That minutes limit got bumped up really quickly. How has he looked? Because it seems a little bit rusty at, at this point. Um, what's the what's the current prognosis, I guess, in terms of getting him back? To- and uh, how, how has he looked coming back from that calf problem? Uh, he seems to me like he's progressing in the direction that they want. But you can definitely, like you said before, see that rust. Um, offensively, his shot has been short a lot, which he talked about after the Saturday loss to Dallas, um, which he thought had to do with his legs, which makes a lot of sense given how long he's been gone. But I also think he's showing more signs of fluidity in that offense. He had some nice sequences of give and goes with Dennis Schroeder. Um, he set some good screens um, to free up the guards. He's had a couple nice spin moves. Like By and large, he's starting to look more like himself offensively. I think it's just a matter of getting those legs back in the timing defensively is where I think you really notice the most that he is a guy recovering from a long absence one-on-one isolated. He still can be pretty effective just because he's so versatile with that length and quickness. He's just a lot to deal with for any ball handler dealing with him straight up. But anytime he needs to react to stuff happening off the ball, rotate over, he's been really slow to react. I mean, it, it says something that these two games together, Andre Drummond's been better than him defensively. 
And, and I don't expect that to continue moving forward, but just it speaks to where they are right now. Like that part of it still is going to take some time before he really looks like AD. Yeah, that's it is going to take that little bit of extra time again. He's been out for so long and he's going to have a level of, um, I guess, hesitance or caution just, just with that that lower body injury in terms of explosiveness because that is always going to be that concern that he got kicked in the calf, the other calf uh, in, in the game across the weekend as <laughs> yeah. well. He was pretty quick to point that out. No, no, that's the other one where we're all okay there. Um, the recent news with LeBron is not much. The last report we heard, Andy, was it's going to be still weeks away. So are we still holding out hope that he's actually going to be back in the regular season? Because there's only three weeks to go in the regular season now. I, I think he's going to be back in the regular season, but there's not going to be, I think, a lot of games in terms of, of that ramp-up period. I think, thankfully for the Lakers, if there's anybody who doesn't need a lot of time to get on the same page with teammates and, and you know really get back to his feel for the game, it's LeBron. But that being said, in a perfect world, you want more games, especially this season where they've had so many guys in and out of the lineup, and I doubt they're going to have that type of luxury. Now, let's talk about the other posi- the position of, I guess, intrigue here with this Lakers team, and that's the center spot. Marcus Gasol was brought in to be the starter, um, and then he's not anymore. He's not in the rotation most nights. Uh, Montrez Harrell, the backup, he was out of the rotation in the last game. Marcus Gasol, Andy, is clearly displeased with the role that he has been given. I'd say he's also be a little bit displeased at the fact that you know, the organization and perhaps his teammates went out of their way to recruit someone to come in and replace him. And then he'll obviously watch Andre Drummond play and think, I can probably do that a little bit better. So how do we sit with this rotation? You know, Montrez Harrell didn't play in the last game and his minutes have been under 20 anyway. Is there a is there a real concern with how, obviously the, the team's best center is the, the guy that plays at power forward anyway, but is there a real concern with how to manage the expectations slash egos slash the way that these guys actually help the team win with Harold Gasol and Drummond because I mean, I'm not at, at this point it, it doesn't feel like they're quite getting it right uh, I mean I'm not totally concerned about it because at the end of the day Frank Vogel a showed that he'll make these type of moves last year during the playoffs he, there were times where JaVale McGee was in and out of the rotation times where Dwight Howard was in and out of the rotation there were times where Markeith Morris became really critical as a small ball five and then other series where he didn't really play at all. So we know Vogel's not afraid to do that, but also he's got the backing of LeBron and AD. Like those guys buy into what he's doing. I think he feels really supported and in that sense emboldened as well to do the things that are necessary. I also feel like to be totally honest, I mean, the odds of Montrez Harrell and Andre Drummond being on the team next season are relatively low just because of CBA mechanics and things like that and other teams likely being able to offer them more money. And Marcus all is signed for next year, but it's a it's a low contract that could potentially get moved elsewhere without too much trouble, maybe combined with something else or whatever. But there's not, I think, a lot of politics that, that go into this beyond the fact that all three of them are guys in the league with a certain amount of stature. But you're not talking about having to appease guys who are part of most likely of a long-term future. And also too, man, I mean, it's a championship team. They are defending champions uh, on top of it. Like there's only so much time you have to screw around and only so much patience you're going to have for assuaging egos. Like uh, Kyle Kuzma after the loss Saturday against Dallas, he expressed empathy for Gasol and Montrez Harrell, you know, saying that competitors want to be on the court 
And, you know, he feels for those guys if their minutes are uncertain or their roles can be uncertain. But at the same time, he had to adjust greatly last season to, you know, a, a much more reduced scoring role being more of, you know, kind of a high-end role player. And, you know, it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison because Kuzma wasn't out of the rotation altogether, but he was doing that heading into a contract year with the expectation that the Lakers weren't going to be looking to extend him. It turns out that they did, but the point is he had to display professionalism and all that, and that's that's part of the cost of potentially winning a championship is you have to buy in with certain things that you don't like. Um, I think it's going to require some managing on Frank Vogel's part, and thankfully I think he's really good with players, and I think he's very upfront with this sort of stuff. But at the same time, you know, anytime you sign up with a team of this type of stature, you have to recognize that part of it means doing whatever is told of you and you don't get much room to complain. Last question, um, and I think it's a pretty easy one to answer. Do you think that the Lakers can uh, get home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs? Probably not, but I don't think it really matters. Okay. You know, assuming they're healthy, I I think these home court advantages mostly matter to these other teams in that you try to take it from them. You know, you'd love to take home court from Denver if possible. You'd love to take it from Utah if possible because I think or Portland wherever because those teams I think need it more than the Lakers. So you're just taking away one thing from them. But you know, look if they fall to six, they end up maybe in a first round series with the Clippers. That's going to feel like a Lakers series, I think, on balance, regardless of who has quote-unquote home court. Yeah, that 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 is a good point. I don't think they'd love to play the Clippers in the first round, but that home court uh, obviously gets, no, gets for sure. That, but that's a that's a separate issue. Yeah. Like that's a matchup thing, talent thing. But I'm just talking in terms of home court. Absolutely, Andy. Thank you for coming on your Locked On NBA debut. We'll look forward to hearing you and uh, Brian over on Locked On Lakers. So go and uh, give them a follow over there. Subscribe to that show. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA and the NHL are in full swing, and Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today using our promo code LOCKED ON and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online are your online sportsbook experts. Now let's talk to the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Mike Richmond is here. Mike, the Blazers currently sporting a one and eight record, or sorry, one and seven record in their last eight games. They have lost five consecutive games, three of those since Damian Lillard returned from his hamstring injury. They are tumbling down the NBA standings. I'm going to ask you a question that you're not going to be able to answer in two minutes, but what's going on? Well, they stink right now, Josh. Uh, They've they have struggled in April. Uh, they've been a bad defensive team all year. Uh, that hasn't changed. But Damian Lillard has also struggled mightily, quite frankly. And as much as this team has had a thin margin for error all season, part of it, the magic, was that Dame would rescue them down the stretch, and they've been in close games, and either he hasn't gotten the ball or he hasn't been good enough down the stretch. Uh, here's a number for you that's on my podcast, Locked on Blazers. Through the first 45 games of the season, Damon Lillard shot 61.6% in the restricted area and 10 games in April shooting 48% in the restricted area. He's just missing layups because he doesn't look right. 
Yeah, so he missed that time with that uh, with that injury. So you think that there is there's always hesitancy with guys when they come back from that, you know, it's a hamstring because that's obviously a push-off type of injury that if you don't have that same lift and explosion, then things aren't necessarily going to go as well as they would normally go fully healthy. But Lillard's come back. He's played 37 minutes in the three games since returning from the hamstring injury. But you're right. He hasn't looked right. But he's also, I've found an issue with him this season, not just in the games coming back from injury, but in the past. Yeah, him and CJ McCollum, it's been a partnership that's been around forever. And Lillard has been awesome. But in the games this year that he has shared the court with CJ McCollum, his numbers are significantly down on where they have been at other times in other seasons when he has played with McCollum. Now, when CJ went out, we saw you know, old Damian Lillard return. You know, Damian Lillard, right. who's like, hey, is he as good as Steph Curry? Should he be in the MVP conversation? And that was with CJ out. And then CJ came back, and he struggled again. And at the start of the season when CJ was there, CJ was getting higher usage than Damian Lillard. What has changed in that dynamic between those two? Because it worked fine. But I'm not saying it's not working fine now, but it's working differently now. And I don't think the results are as uh, Damian or the Blazers would uh, be hoping for. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to put a finger on it. I think some of it is just the the team has bad vibes. Like they just they do not, um, you know, they don't always play as hard as you as you would expect them to, and they try to win games at eight minutes, like they're a really good team, as opposed to like a, just an okay team, like they actually are. Um, the Damon CJ dynamic, I can't quite put my finger on it. Like they just they don't they haven't played off each other as well as they normally do. Um, it's just you go, I go. But before they would kind of bend defenses with that same you go I go type of thing um but it's just it hasn't worked they just they just don't look as good and honestly Josh I thought prior to Sunday's loss against the Grizzlies which was troubling and bad I thought the Blazers looked as good this week as they had in a month I thought it was the best week they'd had in a month they just lost three one-point games it happens they lost three games by a total of four points and then they came out on Sunday and laid an egg and now it's just like well mm, that might be a wrap for this one yeah, so they currently sit uh, what thirty-two and twenty-eight, half a game uh, ahead of the Grizzlies, who are in the eighth spot. You know, they're one and a half games out of the the nine, so they, they look like they're going to be in that play play in type area. Um, we, we, it's not going to happen this year, obviously, but the speculation is, is mounting about Terry Stotts' future with this team, and. There's been some you know, troubling rotation decisions at times, like the consistent pairing of Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony, the you know, sort of movement of guys like Derek Jones Jr. in and out of the lineup, and you know, reluctance to play players like that at certain times. Is this, you know, with the way that things are, and they're not imploding, but they're not far off that at the moment. Is this is this the swan song for Stotts in uh, Portland? It would be a huge upset if he is on the bench next season. Uh, I'm not reporting that from any sources, but I've covered this team for seven seasons and the vibes have never been like this. Um, it's This is it for Terry. Uh, he's one year remaining on his contract, but I, I do not think he will be playing that out next season. I think that he is all but gone and the way this team just hasn't sort of stepped up and taken a step forward and, and they've taken, you know, a, maybe a minor step back from where they've been the last couple of years. Um, it's the writings on the wall that they're, they will be getting a new coach next year. Does that also mean, do you think they're getting a new GM? Because Neil O'Shea has you know, obviously had the, the coach in place. Um, he has also you know, made the decisions to move on in the past from Al Camino and Mo Harkless, go to more offensive types of things with bringing Carmelo Anthony in and then you know, re-pivoting back to Derek Jones and Robert Covington in those defensive forward positions. And you know, it, the, he hasn't quite found that right mix. Like, How long does he keep continue to get a pass for? You know, I don't think Neil's job is in trouble. 
Uh, I don't, I, I believe he will get another chance, but the blame, like while Terry Stotts, I don't think he's going to get, I don't think he's done a very good job this year. And I don't think he's going to come back. The blame is organization wide. Like this, this is not um, a simple coaching issue. The difference in this team being a championship level team, this is just, they shouldn't be this bad on defense. They've got, they should be a little bit better and more competitive, but at some point who, you know, personnel matters. This league is a talent league, and I don't think the Blazers have a the talent or the path to be an elite level team at this point. Let's, uh, you know, we've been you know, been pretty negative here, Michael. Let's let's end this on a on a positive note. Yusuf Nurkic looks like Yusuf Nurkic again. It's been, you know, we, we spoke at the beginning of the season, saying, what is going on with this bloke? Like, he is out of it. Like, his conditioning is not there. He is looks like he's not putting in the effort. He struggled. Then he broke his wrist. And then when he came back from his wrist injury, he strained his calf. And then he had minutes limits. And now he's just, the last two games, absolute monster performances from Nurkic. So, I guess we can look at the Blazers' struggles at times this year and go, well, they haven't had the guy who was, before he broke his leg, literally their second best player, like comfortably their second best player before he broke his leg. And he hasn't been that same guy until these last two games. So that's a positive to see Nurkic um, yeah, back at that level of form. Obviously, it hasn't resulted in victories. But yeah, yeah but I mean, I'm telling you, before Sunday's game, I was going to tell you that the Blazers, while they haven't lost, they haven't sort of had validation for it, that they're playing better. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, then Sunday happened and here we are with a kind of a negative little spot for me on this podcast. But Nurk has been balling. Nurk has there's undeniable like he he looks like himself and he raises this team's ceiling. Uh, there might be questions about what this team's ceiling is, but he makes them so much better and he's playing as well as he has you know, maybe since the bubble and maybe even before that, maybe since the spring of 2019, he, he's really, really starting to put it together. So let's let's throw the question out there, which gets asked a lot, but I'm not going to do it in a um, cliched type of way. You know, we hear so much about the Lillard and McCullum backcourt and they can't work together and they can't get to a championship and someone's got to be moved and it's going to be CJ, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to throw it out in a different sort of mode here because I think that, again, to begin this season, you saw Nurkic going out there and getting like 10% usage games, 12% usage games, and just being ignored while those two went out there and, and did what whatever they did. I'm not, it's not that I think that necessarily the McCullum-Lillard combination can't work. Well, we've seen it work to a degree, but it's more that it puts that limit on what Nurkic can actually do. And I think a Nurkic-Lillard combination probably has a higher ceiling than a than a Lillard-McCullum combination. So does this bring back, even though that's pretty tough given CJ's contract situation, does it bring back that discussion of, hey, do we need to move move CJ out of here? It certainly brings it up in spaces like this uh, <laughs> and, and other other places. I don't think it brings it up in the front office. Yeah, uh, I, just, I wouldn't have thought so. I, I think they're committed to this group. I think there's an emotional element. And I think, like you mentioned, trading CJ does likely doesn't bring back equal quality talent. And the Blazers with Dame, as he is currently, they can't afford to be to get a little bit worse and better in the future. They need to get better now. And I have trouble seeing a trade in which the Blazers, you know, get get back sort of the talent that keeps them at that level in the near term is a just to throw a name out there, is a CJ for Tobias Harris swap moving the needle even a little bit, or does it just make the parts look a little bit different? I I I think it makes for yeah. I don't know. I, I think that Tobias actually works better for Portland than CJ does. Is it enough? Probably not. Right. But- is it? Is it? Yeah. Is it what Philadelphia wants? That that's what I'm not sure about. Like, <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot. Of, there's a. It's a tough needle to thread. I don't think the front office is really going to explore it. If you're asking me. 
yeah, like figure out a way to figure out a way to get off that pairing and um, and see what it could look like if you lean into the dame and pretty darn good pick and roll partner. Yeah, well, I think the other thing you can look at is is it doesn't you can break up the partnership, so to speak, without breaking up the partnership, and that's that does require buy in and it requires a new coach to come in and say, CJ, your role is completely different now. With it, now, do, right. you, do you come off the bench and play thirty two minutes like? Yeah, you know, like a, a well, not thirty. You know, like a prime Lou Williams type of guy, and you run that second unit because we want to focus in on Dame Nurkic pick and rolls, and then you can come and do your thing in the second unit. You know, that requires that buy-in from you or a coach to say, "Look, this is what we're doing. You're playing twenty-eight off the bench, and you're going out with thirty-five percent usage in that time, and you are dominating those minutes." Similar to what Minnesota is doing at the moment with D'Angelo Russell, whether that's a permanent thing or not, I'm not sure. But that that can be a way of breaking up the pairing without having to trade. Because you're right, you can't trade CJ McCollum and his you know, upcoming forty million dollars a year or whatever it is, and expect to get a player who's better at yeah you know, for those salary pieces. You just can't do it. So maybe it requires an in-house breakup of the partnership. Yeah, I mean that's this is this is the argument for fresh eyes. It's that you're kind of locked into what you have, and the best way to improve this roster, different eyes looking at how it attacks and how it approaches games. Well, it is going to be interesting to see how this all plays out down the stretch, where the Blazers finish the season and how long after the season ends it takes for Terry Stotts to be fired. Mike, you'll cover it all for us on Locked On Blazers. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. Just sorry it was such a downer today. Hey, it happens. Thanks for having me, Josh. And that'll do it for today's episode of Locked On NBA. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the new Odyssey app. Go and follow us over there as well. Leave us five-star reviews. That's an excellent way of helping out the show. And share us all on social media. I'm on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. And you can follow the network at Locked On NBA Pods as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.